Hey, every once in a while, we like to do these things called Story Sundays. Um, every good pastor has these things called sermon illustrations. So you have a passage, and you're going to break down the passage for your people, and then you have sermon illustrations. And there's whole books that will actually give you sermon illustrations. But I thought about if I was going to preach on Isaiah 65, where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, and I would apply it with the gospel where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's interesting that in the Greek, it actually says anyone is in Christ, new creation. New creation. And if I was going to preach on this passage, and I was going to use sermon illustrations, what better sermon illustrations than what God has done to bring about new creation, where death has been, is going to be no more, where we start to see life breaking through in death, where we start to see light breaking through in darkness than the stories of Tiffany and Kyle. And so I asked them to share today. So let's welcome each of them. Let's welcome Tiffany first. Can we just give her a round of applause? She comes forward and shares all that God has been doing in her life. Good morning putting my old lady glasses on. I have reached that age sooner than I thought. Okay. This is already off script, but I just want to thank Amanda for choosing the song she did this morning because it was just a reminder of how God answers prayer. So Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me has been a really helpful song for me in the last few months since we learned it, and so I'm glad we got to sing it this morning. So I want to start by saying that I never thought I had a story to share. That's my life was pretty ordinary. So it feels a little weird to be standing here, um, but I've learned in the past 12 months that you can never predict what God will do in you and through you. So I grew up in Willow Grove and had a pretty typical life with two parents and two sisters, one of which is my identical twin. I attended church in the neighborhood, but not regularly. I thought then that it was something good people did, and I liked singing in the children's choir, but I didn't really understand the gospel. Then my parents divorced when I was 11, which was a pretty traumatic and defining experience in my life. And my sisters and I moved with my mom to Missouri, where I was introduced to my need for salvation by a friend at my 13th birthday party. I accepted Christ that night and immediately felt the Holy Spirit working in my life. Despite his work, I've always struggled with anxiety and I've even taken medications a few different times in my life to help with it. Starting in my teen years, I struggled a lot with insecurity and feeling like I didn't fit in. I often felt invisible and overlooked by God and by others, and I required frequent validation and reassurance to feel adequate. I missed a lot of opportunities because of the fear of failure, and I worried a lot about the future. My ability to manage stress was pretty low. I went through a particularly difficult time when I was 24, when a fiancé broke off his engagement with me, leading to my return to Pennsylvania. But God used this time to draw me closer to him and to show me that he was enough. I was thankful finally to meet my husband and get married, um, but I entered a deep depression about 10 years ago when we were having difficulty getting pregnant with our second child. I felt abandoned by God at that time and even became angry with him for always making things so hard for me. And this was a spiritually dark season in my life. 
However, God was patient with me, and through wrestling with my faith, I began to understand that his will is perfect. I feel like this experience was critical in my finally surrendering all sense of control and entitlement in my life. Fast forward to Christmas last year. I'd been tired and overwhelmed like most everybody else, working from home and doing virtual school with my boys. I began having some strange symptoms in mid-December that I couldn't quite put together, and I was frustrated that it would ruin my mom's visit from Florida for the holidays. On Christmas Eve, after a telehealth visit with my doctor and waiting to get tested for COVID and feeling extremely weak, I passed out at home and I was taken to the ER by my husband. The next several days are blurry as my cognition was quite impaired. I remember being told in the ER that I had internal bleeding and then later being given a diagnosis, but I was emotionally detached from all information. It turns out I had an aggressive form of leukemia called APL, and my body was effectively shutting down from it. I was transferred to the University of Pennsylvania Hospital on Christmas morning, where I spent the next 35 days, half of them in the ICU. During that time, I was being treated with daily chemotherapy for the leukemia, and also being treated for an associated condition called DIC, which had cut off circulation to my extremities, turning my hands, feet, and nose black, and shutting down my kidneys, requiring ongoing dialysis. My situation was quite severe, and I've had to learn most of my story through my husband and family because I was not cognitively aware or even able to make decisions on my behalf for some of the time. I don't remember Christmas, and only vaguely remember New Year's. But after almost two weeks, I began to improve cognitively, get some of my strength back. I was able to transition to intermediate dialysis and move out of the ICU onto the cancer floor. Or in addition to daily chemotherapy and dialysis three times a week, my hands and feet were being treated daily with a cream to improve the circulation, and I had physical therapy to deal with standing, walking, and self-care activities like brushing my teeth. I was discharged from the hospital on January 28th, and thus began all my outpatient treatment. I had intensive chemotherapy, in which they used a form of arsenic. I know, crazy to think that. My treatment regimen was five days a week for four weeks every other month from February through August, and dialysis three times weekly, in addition to physical therapy, in-home nursing care, and a variety of medical appointments to treat my damaged fingers and toes. In May, I had two fingertips amputated, but praise God, they are the least used ones on my non-dominant hand, and all the others were healed. And twice this last week, two people didn't even know. Even studying my fingers, they couldn't tell, so praise God for that. I recently transitioned to at-home dialysis, and I'm awaiting a kidney transplant, hopefully this year. As hard as this year has been, I have much to be grateful for. My form of leukemia, although severe in its progression, is treatable, and I have had two negative bone marrow biopsies with no expectation that the cancer will return. Learning that information in the hospital when I came to from my delirium was enough to carry me through all the difficult things to come. I told my husband Jim in one of our early conversations in the hospital that if I could come out of this only losing a few fingers, I couldn't really complain. It was a blessing to simply get to live, and I still believe that. Additionally, from the first moment I can remember, I felt the power of prayer. 
I can't describe it other than to say I felt a peace that passes understanding. To know that teams of people all around the country were praying for me, not only here, but also in Missouri and in other states as well. I distinctly remember finally retrieving my cell phone one night in the ICU and seeing text messages and phone messages from family and friends. For once, social media was a blessing, as I discovered a GoFundMe page and saw evidence of God's love through the words and giving of others, both people I know and even some that I don't. I cried for the first time that night, but they weren't tears of fear or sadness. It was love for someone who always felt invisible and overlooked. God was communicating through all this that he saw me. Sorry. And I was not forgotten. He was with me in the darkest of moments, just like his word promises. And all the praying, the love, and the help did not stop. People have continued to love on me and my family throughout this past year, giving and serving beyond our imagination. God has continually demonstrated his provision for me through all this. There has not been a single time in this last year that he has failed to provide when and what I have needed, from the smallest to the biggest request, and I have truly felt his closeness in a special way. I experienced this church acting as his hands and feet. You may not remember, but it was this Sunday last year when my church family prayed for me and took up an offering. I didn't know it at the time, but I discovered it later. In a dark and cynical time such as we now live, God's church was a beacon of love, generosity, and kindness. I couldn't be more humbled or grateful by his care and love through the church, and I could not have survived as well without all the support from my family and friends. My mom was visiting when I got sick, and she took FMLA so she could live with and care for me and my family for three months. My dad drove me to chemo and other appointments and took my boys out for adventures once a week. My family and friends provided help and support on a daily basis, so I never felt alone. And my sweet husband has sacrificed and cared for me so much in this last year and has shouldered a lot of the burdens and responsibilities in our family so I could just focus on my health. And he never once made me feel guilty for taking a sick day. He's demonstrated the sacrificial love commanded in Ephesians 5 in so many ways. God has shown me how blessed and loved I really am, and that helps when discouragement fights for a seat at my table. I've begun to keep a journal of uplifting scripture, and I'm noting all the places in his word that he promises his presence, his love, and protection. And I'd love to share that with anyone who needs encouragement or reminders of God's goodness. I also created a playlist of encouraging worship music, which I've listened to often when I'm feeling low. I've also learned to be thankful for the small things in life. Instead of focusing on all that is not how I want it to be, I have learned to see God's hand in the tiny blessings, of which there are many. My chemo is atypical, which means I didn't lose my hair or feel too sick most days. I had excellent care in the hospital with an expert treatment team and caring nurses. I get to enjoy simple moments like sitting on the beach, watching the ocean, hanging out with my husband, watching TV, sharing mealtime stories and jokes with my kids, and finally getting to take a shower and wash my own hair after 12 months. Yes, my dear husband washed my hair for like six months after my mom left. God even answered this small prayer request of mine in home meeting recently, for those of you in home meeting. I prayed that I would get my chest catheter removed and be able to take a shower by Christmas. I took my first shower on Christmas Eve. 
a small reminder of God's personal love for me in the midst of my suffering. If you take time to really look for it, God is always there showing himself. My heart is more grateful as a result of this experience, and a life of gratitude is a sweet one. I can honestly and confidently say that God has shown himself in this trial in my life and has not forsaken me. Many times now, people have told me how strong and positive I am. This always makes me laugh a little because that is not how I would ever describe myself. I feel weak and negative, and I am prone to complaining. So what they are seeing is God. He is my strength and peace and joy and hope. And if others are seeing these things in me, then they are seeing Jesus. As Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God doesn't waste anything. And if we allow him to, I believe he will use every bit of pain and hardship in our lives for our benefit and for his glory. He isn't called the Redeemer for nothing. I believe he has used all of these trials in my life to mold me as the potter does with the clay. And I pray that he can use my illness now to draw others closer to him or into a relationship with him. If even one person were to come to Jesus because of what I've been through, it makes it all worthwhile. I do ask humbly for you to continue to pray for me. Although I am preparing for a transplant, I have no doubt that God can still heal me, so I will not stop desiring this or praying for it. But as I've said often during this year, and I truly believe, this is God's story, not mine, and I am just playing my part. Please pray that I would continue to release control of how he is choosing to tell it and to trust that he will do it in the best way to bring him the most glory. with humility. Um, so hi, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, a few years ago, I got to go on a mission trip to Montenegro, which I still can't find on a map. Um, uh, but while I was there, uh, I, I had the opportunity to talk um, every day with like a different group of uh, student athletes. Um, and so I was told um, to tell them who I was and why I was there. Um, which, when I thought about that, that's actually like a really existential question. Um, but preparing for that really helped me um, understand and come to terms with and be able to communicate um, like how big those questions had been in my life. And I'm sure they are for most of us, but I, I don't think a lot of us ever um, get the opportunity or realize how important our answers to those questions are. Um, and so I, I figured out, I think, the best way for me to share um, uh, about um, what God's done in my life. And, and so I'll do the same thing that I did with the students with you this morning. And so I started off by introducing myself. I said, hi, my name's Kyle. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. Um, uh, I am a brother. I am a son. Um, they all knew by the end of the week I was not a volleyball or soccer player. I couldn't identify that way. Um, but I told them, like, even telling you those things about myself, you still don't know who I am. 
Um, and, and so I, I told them, and I'll invite you guys to do this as well, to consider this question. Who are you? And who gets to decide? And so for me, for most of my life, um, growing up in the house that I did, there was one person whose voice just seemed louder than all the others, um, who uh, really impacted me um, and whose voice determined, in my mind, who I was. And so um, who I thought I was for the first part of my life was someone who could never meet expectation, um, who wasn't uh, worth your time, uh, whose name you'd hear like on your birthday, and other than that, you'd be called other things. Um, and, and because of how, um, how rarely I could meet those expectations or how often I fell short, um, there were lots of consequences in my house um, for never meeting those expectations. And so um, you could define me as somebody, um, f- fear would probably be the thing that defined me for most of my childhood. Uh, and so for like the first 10 years of my life, I thought that's what family was. I thought, and um, I just thought that it was what everybody had going on at home. And, uh, and so then at some point, hitting like middle school, you start to hang out with some other people, see what uh, it's like in their house, and you realize that that's not um, what it's like for everyone. And that's not necessarily what um, your, your parents, or your, for me it was uh, my dad, um, that's not what dad should be. Um, and so then anger started to define me. So I still had that fear, um, but now there was this new anger. And so I started to explore um, who else I could be. And so I found myself in a community of um, kids and people who are selling and smoking pot. Um, and so I, I was like 12 and I'm trying that on as my identity. And so there's all kinds of new fears and paranoias that come with that. Um, and there's all kinds of other voices telling you who you should be or who you are. And uh, I didn't like any of them. And I didn't know who I was or who I was supposed to be or who I wanted to be. I just knew um, that I was angry all the time or I was scared. Um, and so then God did something really cool. Um, and he was doing what he always does, which is working in everybody's lives at the same time. And so he moved this gentleman named Scott um, from, like, Minnesota to Trumbull, Connecticut, my town, and he became the new youth pastor at the church that my mom um, was a member at. Uh, And it was the same year that God moved him and his family there that for the first time in my life, and the only year in my life, God moved uh, my bus stop, which was always right in front of my house, um, down the street to right in front of the doors of the church. Um, And so I had grown up in church, but I had this weird relationship with God, and I believed that he existed. I just thought he was a liar. And and so I had this new option when I got off the bus every day if I wanted to go home or if I wanted to go to this uh, park where part of my life was happening, or I could walk in these doors and I could ask Scott all kinds of questions that nobody had ever thought of before, uh, like if God was so good then why would he let this happen to me or to other people or whatever it was? If he's such a good father, then how could he put me in the home that he did, whatever it was? And, uh, and Scott knew me enough um, to never outright answer my questions. He'd always send me home with like a scripture or a passage, which for like a 12-year-old is the most obnoxious thing in the world. 
Um, but that's what he would give me, and so I started, um, I started reading. Um, and I, I realized through all these stories in Scripture, um, all the things that God had done for us and for me. Um, and during that time, too, uh, Scott allowed me into his life, and he would uh, occasionally like take me to his house for dinner or something like that with his family. And all of a sudden, I saw um, like how he treated his wife. Um, and I saw he was like a, a big guy, like to go to the gym. I would see him get on the floor with his disabled daughter and let her play like Pretty Pretty Princess or whatever the game was and put a tiara on his head and all these things. And um, I was like, man, like that's what a dad should be. Um, and so I'd ask Scott questions like, why are you so different than what I have? Um, and he would tell me about his childhood. Um, and how at one point in his life, he just realized and learned um, that it wasn't his dad who tells him who he is. Um, it's not even him who gets to tell him who he is, um, but it's Christ. And, um, and I wanted that, but I didn't know how to get that. And, um, and so somewhere in there, um, when I was about 15, uh, my dad ended up walking out. Um, and so if I hadn't figured out how to be an adult yet, that was like a, a moment for me where I decided, um, you know, it was like, uh, I didn't really decide. It was time for me to kind of grow up a little bit. Um, so I, I needed to become this new man in the house, but I didn't know yet who I was or who I wanted to be. I just knew that whatever the Scott had, um, I needed. And so as I continued to read, um, one of the passages that I came across was in James chapter 2. And um, he's talking to people who claim to believe. And he says that you believe. Well, he says even the de demons do. And they shudder. And I realized, like, man, like, I had called myself a Christian my whole life because I went to church. My mom had me go to church. But I, like, hated God. And um, I was so angry with him. And I blamed him for everything. Um, and I realized that I was just one of the demons. And, um, and that revelation has struck me because that's not who I wanted to be. And the things that I was doing was not the kind of things that I wanted to define me. And this fear and this anger that I was carrying wasn't something that I wanted for the rest of my life. Um, and so I realized in just, just reading and talking to Scott and some other people that like this is the whole point of the gospel. Um, is that um, I'm not capable in my own power to change myself. Um, the way that the world defines me is not the way that he defines me. And in fact, um, the creator of the universe is the only one with the authority to tell me who I am or who I should be. Um, and he places a measurable value on us. Uh, and he doesn't tell me that I'm nothing but a screw-up. He tells me that I'm his son and that he loves me, and that I have a job as his ambassador and steward. Um, and so I was about 14 or 15 when I decided that um, like that's who I wanted to strive to be. And, uh, and, and so all of a sudden, there was just like this weight off my shoulders that I wasn't living to perform for my dad or these kids at school or whoever it was. I was there um, to be the best son that I could be um, to a father who loves me. And... Um, it just changed my life. It just really did. And so um, 
for any of you in this room who, who know me through the years, um, God's been doing some real good work in my life um, from where I was and where I am. And um, I, I don't know. I just, uh, it was really freeing for me to know that God defines who I am and who we are and who we should be. And nobody else gets to decide that for you. And so this morning, that's just my question for you guys, man. Who are you and who gets to decide in your life? Whose voice is loudest in your ear this morning? Is it your own? Is it your parents? Is it someone else? Or is it him? Uh, The answer to that question radically changed my life, and I hope it does yours as well. Why don't we have Kyle and Tiffany, we'll just pray for them. Hey, I hope as you're listening, I mean like, I hope you're identifying, I hope you're seeing yourself in their stories. Like Jim, like last year, that was, with you, was, was tough. Like there were, there were times where we like just hugged each other and cried. And good for you, Liberty, for taking care of Tiffany and her family. Good for you. Say what you want about Christians, but when people are down, we step up. Because Jesus stepped up for us. And when I met Kyle, I had no inclination, because of the way Jesus had transformed his life, that any of this had been his experience. Because when I met Kyle, I saw somebody who like, loved Jesus and just wanted to do everything he could to reflect that love toward, to others. And so, I just want to pray for them. And I invite you to just lift out your hands as if you were putting your hands on their shoulders that we just pray and bless them. Father, we thank you so much for Tiffany and Kyle, but we don't thank you simply for Tiffany and Kyle. We thank you for you. We thank you for being you. For being the one who doesn't call us idiots or worthless, but calls us sons and daughters. For the one who doesn't just let us struggle with sickness and disease and says, hey, just figure it out, deal with it. I'm going to sit back and watch it happen. But who's in the middle of it? Who's close to the brokenhearted? Who extends his hand of healing to those who are hurting and sick? And so, Lord, we thank you for Kyle and Tiffany because of the work that you've done in their lives. We pray that the rest of us would continue to love you, would be moved to love you, would also enjoy the things that Tiffany brought up, sitting on the beach, watching TV with our spouses, things that we take for granted every day. And I also ask that we be people, no matter our experiences, no matter what people have said about us or do say about us, that we, the loudest voice in our ears, in our minds, in our hearts is your voice telling us that you love us and that Jesus died for us. And because of that, we're your sons and daughters. Thank you so much for what you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.